Father, we thank you um, just even in the last week, um, the people we've encountered and been able to at least have a spiritual conversation with and at least share uh, pieces of the gospel, if not the whole thing. Lord, that is why we're here. That is what you've tasked us to do as individuals and as a church. Um, just pray for this gal that Patricia was able to talk to. Thank you for that opportunity. Pray that she would read the Gospel of John and that it would make uh, an impact, that she would see you, uh, that you, um, Father, would reveal the Son. Um, and we pray for that. We pray for uh, the two um, LDS gals that um, Emily was able to talk with, oh Lord God. I pray that um, some of the differences they would they would see, oh Lord God, they would see the, the, the um, the Bible is your word, and it is sufficient, and it contradicts um, what uh, uh, the additions that they would add on to it. So we just pray that you would rescue um, these ladies. Um, Lord, we uh, uh, pray um, uh, just for other opportunities we've had, and um, even for the fellow I was able to talk to this week, uh, just pray that uh, there would be an understanding of biblical faith. What does that mean, and what does it mean to entrust ourselves to you? Um, Lord, that is our desire. Help us t as your people. Uh, that's an ongoing battle every day to entrust ourselves to you, to keep walking the walk of faith and perseverance. We ask for grace to do that. Lord, we pray now as we turn our attention to thinking about how do we interpret the scriptures well, um, and as we think about Psalms and how to do that, um, Lord, we pray that you would bless our time, that you would give us understanding, uh, bless those who will be on their way shortly to join us for the gathering later this morning and uh, pray that you protect them. Thank you for this time in your name. Amen. Okay, so uh, we took a break last week, but we are back into uh, how do we read the scriptures well, and uh, basic, what's, what's the main goal uh, when we read the scriptures? Yeah, the author's intent. We need to understand the author's intent, of the human author's intent, because the human author's intent is expressing God's intent. Uh, they're one and the same. And so that's what we're aiming at. We use context, uh, literary, history, geography, like all the layers of context. Uh, we have a methodology, a basic methodology for working towards that. Observation, interpretation, application. So observation, we're, we're making, uh, we're looking at facts, uh, things we note, um, and then asking questions, questions that'll help us uncover the author's intent. Uh, and that really that just helps us slow down, think about the text, meditate on the text, uh, and then interpretation. Let me assemble the facts and try to make a stab at explaining what the human author's intent is. And then you move into application. Um, so once you understand, and only once you understand uh, the human author's intent, do you move on to application. Uh, the temptation is to shortcut the, the whole, to skip right from reading direct to application. And we don't want to do that, not because we don't want to go to application. We do, um, but we want to respect uh, the author's intent because when you do that, then you know, okay, I'm getting the full force of God's word as he intended it. Um, and so that's why we, we aim for that. Um, just a reminder, too, that there are different levels of reading, um, devotional reading, you got maybe, you know, Lord willing, you got 30 minutes in the morning to read, to pray. Um, you're not going to get all everything out of the text that you could get, right? Uh, it's like an iceberg, right? You're, you get the tip of the iceberg and you get some food, right? You get some food for the day. Um, but uh, you're going to get more if you spend more time. And so this in no way, as we're practicing this, as we're looking through this, you're like, man, I don't have time to do that in the morning. Well, 
Um, we're not. We're just trying to give you a methodology that no matter whether you have the time, only 30 minutes, or whether you have a whole week um, to work on one text, you're still basically following that same flow. What's the human author's intent? Observation, interpretation, application. You just get less if you have less time. So, uh, just just to point that out. So we practiced some on uh, the one of the epistles. We started with the epistles because we're more familiar with them. Uh, in a lot of ways, they're more easy. A lot of the me- uh, the the meaning is right there at the surface, um, and so you can still takes thought um, to put it all together, but uh, they're easier. So now we want to drift into other uh, kind of work from the most easy to the least easy in terms of genres, and by genre we just mean a different type of literature, uh, just like you would read a newspaper differently than you would read a book of poetry. Um, you just know that you need to do that, and so we're switching genres from New Testament uh, epistle to psalms. Um, psalms we're also familiar with. We love the psalms, rightfully so. Um, so what we want to do is I want to give you just a few uh, background, kind of contextual things to think about when you come to the book of Psalms, uh, and then we will practice. Uh, we'll probably, maybe we'll get into a little bit of it today, but we'll probably get in more practice next week. Um, so let's talk about the psalms. Who authored the psalms? Okay, yeah, that's, uh, that's true at the divine level, but uh, in general, who, who authored the Psalms? All, uh, David did a lot, uh, right? So David did a lot. He didn't do all of them for sure, but he did do a lot. We got other guys like Asaph. We got groups like the Sons of Korah, um, and you got Heman, the Ezra, uh, I forget the two, there's like Heman and Ethan. I think it's Ethan, the Ezraite, and uh, Heman, I can't remember where he came from, but you got other guys, right? So the Psalms are authored by various people. Each one is its own composition, and yet um, the book of Psalms is compiled over time, uh, and uh, probably some of, and I'll walk you through, at least some of that probably happened during David's time, but then uh, later and later and later until it, um, the final stages of the Psalter were probably composed after the exile, um, and possibly even um, closed around 400s BC. So uh, the book of Psalms grew over time, um, it, but they are compiled into intentional books. So yes, you have each individual psalm as its own composition, but then they are intentionally arranged in the Psalter um, in particular ways. And we won't go too much into that, but um, I will show you uh, that, you know, as you, as you read through your English Bible and it says book one, book two, book three, book four, book five, and you might think, oh, well, that's just arbitrary. Well, no, it's not. There's actually a a textual hint that that's the books they should be in. So turn to Psalm 41, and I'll show you this. Um, there's, and there's been a lot of work done over the last few decades on the intentional arrangement of the Psalms and even how they work together to tell a story. Um, and I'll, I'll mention a little bit of that. But um, someone read Psalm 41, verse 13. Okay, now you'll notice that happens at Psalm 41, and then if you look at your English Bible, it's probably got a heading at the very beginning, right before Psalm 42 of Book 2. Um, now, you're like, really? Is that, is that the right thing to hinge on? Well, turn to Psalm 72. Um, 
and uh, someone read Psalm 72, verses 18 through 20. prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended, right? So, but do you notice how similar that phrase is from, at the end of Psalm 41? It's a little bit different, of course, but uh, amen and amen, um, blessed be the glorious name of God, right? It's a very, very similar to what ended Psalm 41, which ends book one. Uh, Psalm 72, you can see similar language. Psalm 89, which ends book three. Uh, if you go to Psalm 89, um, this one's shorter, Psalm 89, verse 52, blessed be Yahweh forever, amen and amen, um, right? So it's a similar sort of refrain that happens. Uh, Psalm 106, uh, Psalm 106 ends book four. Psalm 106, verse 48, someone go ahead and read that. And then, interestingly, and I'll make a, you would say, oh, then the last one's got to be in Psalm 150. Well, actually, no, um, not exactly. It's in Psalm 145. If you go to Psalm 145, um, verse 21, someone go ahead and read that. You see how all those are similar, right? They all are very, very similar in a refrain. And scholars have noted this, so at least that shows why we demarcate the, the book of Psalms basically into five books. Now you might say, well, why, why is the last one at Psalm 145 and not at Psalm 150? Well, here's the, thing, here's the reason. Um, the Psalter begins with in, in two introductory Psalms, Psalms 1 and Psalms 2. Um, you, those are the only, those are basically, except for one other exception, in the book one, uh, most all of the other psalms have a heading. Um, psalms one and two do not. And Psalms one and two, what does Psalm one deal with? You've read the Bible long enough to know. Psalm one, what's Psalm one deal with? Yeah, meditating on the law of the Lord, the Torah, um, the, um, specifically, but yes, God's word. What does Psalm two have to do with? Yeah, the reign of the Lord and his Messiah, his anointed, which gets to the Davidic covenant. And basically those two themes, the law and the Davidic covenant, are what flow through all of the Psalter. Um, and uh, just as there's an introduction, there's also a conclusion. That's why that last refrain is Psalm 145. If you notice, Psalms 146 through 150 are like, uh, they all have to do with praise. Like uh, each one is just like explosive praise and it kind of crescendos um, to the very end in Psalm 150. So, like I said, each individual psalm is its own composition, uh, composed in time, but then at some point in later, uh, these individual songs were compiled in such a way to, uh, basically, as you walk through them, they roughly follow, they broadly follow Israel's history. Um, so, book one, you've got, uh, it start, I mean, it's focused on David, but it focuses on David and his trials and his issues, 
uh, and that's a lot of what book one deals with. Book two, um, yes, there's still trials, there's still issues, but it, it, there's more of a celebration of God's kingdom, just like and Psalm 72 is written by Solomon, who is David's successor on the throne. Book three has to deal with a lot of, uh, wait, we're, we're suffering from enemies, we're uh, even going into exile and things like that. Uh, book four um, has to do with kind of looking back earlier to, so it's like looking back from the standpoint of Israel's exile earlier into Israel's history. And then book five, basically you could frame the return of the king because it, it follows, hey, David's coming back, he's sitting on the throne, and then how does the Psalter end? It ends with this crescendo of praise. So in a broad sense, the Psalter, even in how they're, they're interconnected, uh, scholars increasingly agree on that. All of the songs are interconnected to tell a broad story. Just like if you were to listen to Handel's Messiah, right? Handel's Messiah tells a story, right? It does it in the form of song. Uh, in a similar sort of way, and yet even more profound, the Psalter is doing something similar. So uh, we're not going to get into all the details of that, but just so you know, those, those, those books are intentional. And you can even see hints at the increasing... Um, compilation of the Psalms in, uh, in uh, the scripture itself. Turn to, um, turn to 2 Chronicles. Turn to 2 Chronicles. So Chronicles was probably uh, the last book written uh, before the 400 years of silence. Um, last history uh, book written, anyway. So someone turn to 2 Chronicles uh, 29 uh, and verse 30. Second Chronicles 29, verse 30. Go ahead and read it when you got it. So a couple things you see here. Uh, one, it's Hezekiah's time, so this is uh, a little while before the exile happens. Um, he's, first, you also notice it's uh, the Levites are doing this um, because the psalms are sung in the context of the temple. Um, there are communal songs that, to be sung in the temple. Um, but notice what it also, what are they singing? The words of David, and David is the majority author of the psalms in book one and book two of the Psalter. He's, most of those are Davidic. In fact, you noted at the end of Psalm 72, which ends book two, the words of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And then book three starts with a big chunk of Psalms by Asaph. Um, so it's possible that books uh, one through three are probably uh, composed by the time of Hezekiah. Uh, and then there's um, the last couple, probably sometime after that time. So it was a growing compilation over over time, it seems. Um, but you can kind of see, it's kind of neat that you, in Scripture you can get hints that it is that growing um, growing book. So initially, yeah, David and Solomon composed the first two books. Asaph, which is, he's a contemporary of David and Solomon, so uh, he could have even earlier, but at least by Hezekiah's time, they might have books one through three of the Psalter. Um, now, I mentioned that the, uh, the, the, the Psalms are designed 
to be done in the temple. So we saw some of that in this verse. We can see also in other places, uh, turn back uh, just five verses, go to verse 25, uh, and notice what it says. Someone read that. Yeah, so you see that this worship is going on. I mean, David is the guy who initially organized the Levites for singing purposes in connection with uh, the tabernacle in David's reign, and then, you know, of course, with Solomon, the temple. And so when we think about the Psalms and when they're sung, they're sung communally uh, in the temple um, as prayers and praises, prayers and praises. Um, and so... Uh, that's, uh, you need to keep that context in mind as you read the Psalter. So you need to think, okay, this is designed uh, as it's, uh, this particular composition that I'm reading uh, is designed to be read in the temple together. So what was its design in that context? Um, so that's why we're going through all this is to think about, okay, as we read the Psalms, we need to think about the context in which they were designed to be uh, sung and used, okay? Um, how could we characterize the purpose of the whole Psalter? Well, like I said, it broadly follows the the progress of Israel's history, but it specifically is oriented towards the Davidic king and waiting for the Davidic king to take his throne. Uh, at one level or another, a lot of the, uh, the Psalms ultimately come back to that. So you could think of the purpose of the whole Psalter as this, to teach worship while waiting for the king. Uh, that's really a lot of what it boils down to, is to teach worship while you're waiting for the king. Um, now, as you jump into... Um, well, let me pause there. Um, so that's kind of the, the broader context I wanted to set for you before we start talking about individual psalms. Any questions on the psalms as a whole series of books um, and how we think about that as a context? Okay, so then let's talk about some strategies as we look at individual psalms. And I'm, again, there's, there's a lot... <laughs> You can go quite deep into this stuff. I'm trying to give you some, some of the most important things to think about. And so one of the more important things to think about when you're reading Hebrew poetry is uh, they're not into rhyme as much as uh, not like into rhyming words like we are with poetry in uh, a lot of the Western world, or at least that's kind of how we think about poetry to an extent. Um, they're into not rhyming words. They're into rhyming ideas. And the way they rhyme ideas is something called parallelism. Parallelism. So um, you, could, um, you could pick any psalm. Um, so let's, let's pick one. Let's go to Psalm 3. I think Psalm 3 will be just fine. Um, And basically the idea of parallelism is this. Two statements, there could be more, but usually two statements smashed side by side. So you got statement one and statement two, um, where the second statement has some sort of conceptual relationship to the first. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you got statement one and it has its idea, then statement two will... Uh, either kind of say the same thing in different words, 
uh, or it will contrast the ideas. So it's like, well, here's this idea, here's its exact opposite, or some other thing like that. But that's the idea of parallelism. You're comparing and contrasting uh, the two, uh, two statements. Um, so let's see if we can pick up on this. Now, uh, another thing to keep in mind when you are reading the Psalms is the headings uh, are part of Scripture. So when we read it, we don't start at... The English Bible puts verse 1 after the heading. Uh, the Hebrew Bible actually puts verse 1 with the heading. Um, and so you read the heading as part of Scripture. A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Verse 1, O Yahweh, how many are my foes? So what's the idea of that statement? Just that, that first statement, O Yahweh, how many are my foes? What's, the ba- what's he saying? Yeah, he's under attack. He's got a lot of enemies, right? Well, notice statement 2, many are rising against me. So statement 1, statement 2, they're in parallel. Uh, what's the conceptual relationship between statement 1 and statement 2? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a restatement, right? Uh, nothing really changed. There wasn't a contrast or something else, right? It, basically, he's saying the same thing twice, uh, using a little bit different words. Um, verse 2, um, verse two. it looks like it even uh, adds more, right? Many are saying, of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So in this case, it looks like he's got a parallelism of three statements because basically it's the same idea, stated three different times and using slightly different words. So that's the idea of parallelism. Uh, Verse 3, but you, O Yahweh, are a shield about me. What does that mean? So that's statement 1. So we're doing parallelism again. Uh, What's he saying in statement 1? Yeah, God's his protector. And then look at the second part. My glory and the lifter of my head. It's not the exact same statement, but it's a similar idea. That's parallelism, right? It's uh, taking these two statements, they're smashed side by side, and sometimes you get a contrast, but a lot of times it's saying a similar thing uh, using different words. Or another way to say that, it, it's, it's not exactly equivalent, but the second time uh, it's stated, it kind of develops the thought in some way or another. Uh, and that's how the Psalms and Hebrew poetry work. It's the same thing with Proverbs, too. Um, Proverbs, in fact, is a lot of ways even more dramatic. Like, if you get into the Proverbs proper, chapter 10 and after, uh, it's parallelism, right? Um, And that's just how Hebrew poetry works. It's not rhyming words, it's rhyming ideas. Uh, And so that's just helpful to keep in mind as you work through the Psalms. Uh, How much does it matter? I mean, you're probably still going to get the gist even if you don't notice the parallelism, but it just gives you another way of meditating and thinking about the text. Okay, now as we think about Psalms as individual compositions, there's all sorts of different types um, and different things that they're supposed to do, which makes sense if they're to be sung in the temple. However, uh, if you're talking in terms of majority, there's two majority categories of Psalms. Lament Psalms, and praise psalms. There's others besides those two, but those are in general um, a lot of what you're going to encounter in the Psalter. Lament psalms and praise psalms. Which one do you think is more in the Psalter? Lament. Lament is the, um, there's more lament psalms in the Psalter than there are praise psalms. And they actually kind of work together. What's a lament? 
yeah, sorrow, right? Uh, there's some difficulty going on, um, you know, for David or for the community or whatever. And so in a lament psalm, you'll hear the, um, the psalmist say, like in Psalm 3, Psalm 3 is a lament psalm, I got a lot of enemies, I'm in trouble, uh, this stinks. Um, you'll, you'll hear him use a lot of strong language uh, as far as like talking to the Lord. And, and, and remind you, this is in Psalm, or this is in song at, at the temple, right? Um, and really prayer and praise kind of blend. Um, but uh, basically you see a lot of strong language in the laments that are like, God, this stinks. Uh, I don't want to be here. Uh, why is this happening? Uh, things like that. And then, um, you know, there'll be a petition, there'll be a request, God, get me out of this, please. Um, But in the midst of all of this, and here's the key component of a lament, where it's not just complaining, (laughs) like it's not just complaining, but how do you, um, uh, uh, laments always have a confession of trust in God. So despite the circumstances that stink, I'm going to still trust you, God, and when you deliver me, I will praise you. That's kind of how laments work. This sucks. Um, I, uh, this stinks. I don't like it. Uh, please deliver me, but I trust you. And when you deliver me, I'm going to praise you. Okay, that's kind of how laments work. Well, notice how it ends usually, right? There's a promise to praise. Well, that's the other main genre of the Psalms, right? So, um, Let's read the rest of Psalm 3 just to get our flavor of, of lament. And then let's go ahead and um, I'll show you how this works with a, a praise psalm. So Psalm 3, a psalm of David when he fled from Epsalom, his son. O Yahweh, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying in my soul there is no salvation for him in God. So... And notice the little Selah there. Um, that's uh, some sort of, we're not 100% sure what it means, but it, it, it at least indicates a break. At the very least, it indicates a break, a section in the psalm, right? So what is J- uh, David doing in verses 1 and 2? He is saying, hey, here's the situation, and it stinks. Uh, but then what does he do in verses 3 and 4? But you, O Yahweh, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to Yahweh, and he answered me from his holy hill. So here he's trusting God. Um, he's expressing his trust in God in spite of the difficulties he's facing. Uh, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for Yahweh sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. So he's ex- again expressing trust in the midst of difficulty. Verse 7, arise, O Yahweh, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked, which is basically the petition. Hey, God, save me, act, work in this situation. I trust you. And then what? Verse 8 is kind of a promise of praise. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Your blessing be on your people. So that's a lament. Uh, it's, it, it, it's the biblical way to complain uh, to God. Um, and, and that's the reality, right? As you walk through the Psalter, they're very human. Uh, they express a lot of emotions. And sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know if I would be comfortable expressing that to God. And what they actually do is they teach you um, how to uh, live life while you're waiting for the king and how do you express that in uh, praise and in worship 
um, as you work through them. So that's a lament. Now, like I said, laments and then there's praises, they kind of work together. They kind of interlock, right? Because uh, the lament is what's happening before God's deliverance. The praise is what happens after God's deliverance. And even laments will uh, often say, hey, when you deliver me, I'm going to praise you. And then the praise psalm is like the, the fulfillment of that promise. So there's kind of these cycles that happen even in the Psalter of lament and praise and lament and praise and lament and praise. So let's go look over at a, um, a praise psalm, uh, Psalm 30. Psalm 30, and again, we start at the heading um, because the heading um, is part of Scripture. A psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Yahweh, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O God, uh, O Yahweh, my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. O Yahweh, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, you restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And notice what he's doing there. He's extolling God, but he's extolling God because of a deliverance that's happened. He hasn't told us what the deliverance was yet, but he's saying, I'm praising God, I'm praising you, God, because you've delivered me. Now what does he do? He actually addresses other people in verse 4. Sing praises to Yahweh, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Now, in verse 6, you're going to start to see him recount the deliverance. Right? So David's saying, I'm praising you because you delivered me, and everyone else, you ought to praise God too uh, because he delivers people. Then, in verse 6, he transitions and says, okay, what, is, um, what happened? And that will often, often happen in a praise psalm. It will recount what happened. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Yahweh, my mountain sta- my mountains, uh, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. So now he's recounting, hey, I was, being re- um, I was sinful. <laughs> like he's trusting in his own prosperity, and then God hid his face. Uh, so this is the difficulty that he was in. Verse 8, to you, O Yahweh, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Yahweh, and be merciful to me. O Yahweh, be my helper. So that's kind of recounting. Here's what happened. Here's how I prayed to God for deliverance uh, and for him to, to you know, uh, uh, redeem me from this situation. Verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Yahweh, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And it's kind of a final uh, say, yeah, you delivered me and I'm praising, uh, I'm praising you. So uh, that happens a lot in the Psalter. It's not every psalm, but you've got lament, cycles of lament and praise, lament and praise. Um, and so just knowing uh, kind of that the basic gist of those uh, ideas of lament and praise can help you as you're reading through them, okay? Um, and, and here's something we don't do. This is where some application can help us a little bit. Um, we don't lament well as, as a people, as a church, because uh, we don't complain well. 
Um, and what the Psalms can really do, if you're spending some time in lament Psalms, they can teach you how to complain well. Uh, um, to complain in a biblical way, right? Uh, because it is biblical to say, God, this sucks, it stinks, uh, I don't like being here, but I trust you, and I'm going to praise you when you deliver me. Uh, and so that's one way the Psalms can teach you. As you look at lament, uh, they can teach you, because life is hard, life stinks, that's why there's more lament psalms than praise psalms. Um, and so you, you learn from those to lament, but also learn to praise, right? Uh, both of those. So, Any questions kind of on the... Those are just general contextual things that you want to keep in mind um, as you're working through. Uh, yeah, Leo. Yeah, it's, yeah, um, let's see, do we have any good ones in 30? So, verse 1 in Psalm 30, since we're here. I will extol you, O Yahweh, for you have drawn me up. That's line 1 in statement 1. Statement two, and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Basically, that's the same idea, restated in slightly different language with line one. Um, verse two is slightly different. O Yahweh, my God, I cried to you for help. That's line one. Line two, and you have healed me. Now, this is different because it's not restating the idea of line one. It's actually completing it. Like I said, you just have these two statements, and somehow statement two does something. It interacts with statement one. So it could be a restatement of ideas, but it could also be, like in verse two, just a completion of the idea. Um, you could have a contrast. Um, I don't know if there's a contrast. Oh, yeah, here we go. Verse five. Um, yeah, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Now, you might argue that's some mixture of completion uh, and contrast, but especially the next couple lines. Weeping may tarry for the night, that's line one, but joy comes with the morning. So there I've got a contrast. So it's, you've always got line one and line two. Sometimes you have a line three, and rarely you have a line four in parallel, but... Um, but the idea is that somehow line two or line three, they have a conceptual relationship with those other lines. And that's just how Hebrew poetry works. So, Well, yeah, and, and that's, you're trying to discover what is the relationship between the two, right? Um, so is it contrast? Is it a repetition? Is it one thought completing the other? You don't need to give it a name. You just need to know that, hey, line one has some sort of relationship with line two. What is that relationship? So, yeah, Bruce. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so even specific chunks and ideas within the line itself get, con get paired up and contrast it. So that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tony. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
it's, it's another way to, like, you know, like, when you hear good music and good lyrics, it's not just that they sound good, but the ideas are crafted in a way to grab your attention and to get you to think a little bit more about it. That's what parallelism is doing. It's just their way of, you know, if we want to use the word clever or whatever, it's their way of being, it's crafting an artistry, putting it together to get you to meditate on these ideas and think through these ideas. So, yeah, uh, Eden. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and there are signals, right? There's conjunctions, there's things like that. Um, so I bring it up not so that you get like bent out of shape about parallelism, but it is another tool to help you meditate on the text um, because you're that's what they're doing and they're used to it. So if you take the time to think through that a little bit, um, it it you're in line with what they want you to do. So yeah, uh, Susan. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah. Yeah. There's different, I know there's different people and groups that have tried to, you know, kind of reconstruct potentially what things would have sounded like, but we, we don't have anything definite. But there are, I know there are plenty of efforts that have put um, psalms to music. So I think, I think is it Sovereign Grace that's done a lot of that. I want to see. Yeah, they're not word for word. Tune to me. Yeah. No, no. And that's, and, that's, and that's the thing, too, right? It's even in trying to bring it over to English, right? There's a lot of artistry that's happening with Hebrew words that you just can't bring over. <laughs> um, and it's, which is just another argument for the languages, uh, you know, um, like you get, uh, you get good translations, but especially in something like poetry, there's just things in artistry that you're missing unless you know a little bit of the original. So, yeah. Uh, okay, um, a couple closing remarks about as far as thinking about uh, interpretation and application, and then we'll practice um, more next week. So we already said this, work with the entire psalm because it's one composition. Obviously, it's part of a greater composition in terms of the whole Psalter, uh, but uh, in general, just think about the entire psalm because it is one composition. You don't want to just slice out a verse or a couple verses. You want to think about the whole composition. It's a whole song. Um, use the inscriptions, meaning the, the, the inscriptions at the top. Um, if available, not all psalms do, but if there is one, uh, it's helpful to determine the historical, and, uh, the historical significance. So like Psalm 30 says, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. 
not at the building of the temple, but the dedication of it. Well, that gives us some clues, some contextual clues about what he's thinking about when he writes this psalm. So pay attention to that context. Uh, and then if, but if like none of that's available, so like Psalm 23, right? A psalm by David. So we know David wrote it. That's about it. Um, and some people say, well, he wrote Psalm 23 in this situation, in this circumstance. And it's like, if it doesn't give you historical detail, just don't press it because it's not given for a reason. Um, uh, I already kind of mentioned this. Look for markers in the text that divide the psalm into distinct sections. Selah is going to be your friend in this case, right? So when you see Selah, it's like, oh, hey, the author put a break here. Uh, I know that's a section. So that's, a, that's kind of the give me is uh, the Selah. Um, parallelism, keywords can help you with that. Um, and we already kind of mentioned this, grapple with the emotions that the psalmist is going through. Uh, how does he express and resolve these emotions in a God-honoring way, right? Uh, they're very emotional, right? And uh, so grapple with the emotions that the psalmist is, is uh, feeling. Uh, some principles for application. Uh, the psalms are expressions of the agonies and ecstasies of a particular king and a particular people under Yahweh's rule as they waited for the fulfillment of Yahweh's promises for the whole world. you got to keep in mind, this is Israel, uh, and this is them waiting for their Messiah, um, and it's them going through their history. So you got to respect that as you come to the Psalter and as you think about application. There's not one-to-one application with you and what David is going through or with you and what is going on with Israel. So you've got to respect that difference as you come to it. But there is a principle that the church is also waiting for the fulfillment of those same promises for Israel and the world. So there's discontinuity, there's, there's differences, and there's also similarities. Just respect that and keep that in mind as you work through inter, uh, applying the Psalms. How are the emotions and experiences of the psalmist the same as those that are experienced today? How are they different? How does the psalm instruct God's people in how to handle their emotions and experiences or how not to handle them? Uh, there's instruction on that as well. Um, one of the big things about the psalms is they give theology. Uh, you see in the New Testament, the author's quoting the psalms for theology. <laughs> uh, what does it teach about God? What does it teach about his relationship with people? So you keep those in mind in the Psalms as well. Um, I've already said this, but be wary of one-to-one correspondence between the actions of the psalmist and the actions that you should take. For example, David can curse his enemies because they were God's enemies and the enemies of God's people. He's like the Davidic king. He's like the embodiment of Israel in a person. So it kind of makes sense that he gets to curse his enemies because they're also God's enemies. An individual believer is called to love their enemies. Uh, they don't have the same role as David did. So you've got to respect that when you come to a psalm that says, break the teeth of the wicked um, and you know, let, their, um, you know, let their bones be burned to lime and things like that. Now, is there a principle there that we can still pray? I think so, uh, but only insofar as um, like, you see, like you see real wickedness in the world and you see the opposition of God's people uh, and you see God's enemies, and you'd say, God, I want you to save those people, but if you don't save them, crush them. <laughs> Basically, that's what we're praying. And it is right to pray that way, because um, um, God will, he, he loves people, and he is going to save people, but he hates evildoers, and he will deal with them. Um, and so there is a principle that transfers. You just got to be very careful um, 
So save them, but if you're not going to save them, crush them. Um, um, and then here's another thing, right? A lot of the Psalms were written by David, and they're uh, looking at... The Davidic Psalms are often trying to portray, here's what the Messiah is going through. Here's how the ultimate Davidic king, here's what he's working through. So when you look, even at a psalm like Psalm 23, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not uh, ever become needful, um, you have to be careful because who wrote the psalm? David wrote the psalm. David is applying it to him. First and foremost, he's not necessarily directly applying it to everyone. Is there implications for us? Absolutely, but you have to think about that chain. Well, who's the first one it applies to? How does it apply? And then um, it applies to the Messiah. It applies to the ultimate Davidic king. Uh, Well, um, how do I relate to that? And there is a relationship because of the Christian's union with the Messiah. You just got to think through that chain a little bit um, before you just uh, up and up, or just directly one-to-one apply it to yourself. So those are some cautions and warnings. Uh, we will practice a couple psalms as we go through it next week. So any questions? Oh, yeah, Brenda. Yeah. Right. Right, 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 right. No. So the Lord is my shepherd. Correct. No, and that's that's. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing about, uh, and it depends on how which how the English translations do it, right? But yeah, so the Lord is my shepherd is not inspired. That's not scripture. Uh, the ESV tries to get around that by, it has that title as bolded right. and italicized. And then it has, in a different font, right. uh, a Psalm of David. And a Psalm of David is inspired, it is part of Scripture. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree, that's confusing, um, and it's, it's unfortunate. So, uh, like I said, the Hebrew versification, it starts verse 1 with the heading. So then there's, there's, uh, there's clarity. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I, I, it's part of scripture, so I read it when I read the psalm. So, um, there's, there's even, um, I don't want to get into the weeds too much on this, but there's even in how the psalms are divided. So, you know how a lot of psalms start with, to the choir master? I think that actually goes with, the, there's an argument that that goes with the previous psalm. Now, it doesn't matter a whole bunch. Uh, it, 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 uh, there's, some might, there's a couple implications throughout the Psalter, but not much. Uh, but they are helpful in determining here's a unit, here's a unit, here's a unit. Yes. Yes, because it's part of the text. And so because it's part of the text, I'm going to read it. Even if I don't fully understand what it is, at least I know there's a break in the text there, right? So, um, yeah. It, uh, I think the best argument I've heard on Selah is like, it's something like uh, potentially like pause and think, or maybe there's a musical crescendo or an interlude or something 
Whichever the case, I know there's a break in the text there. So that helps me say, well, this segment is one block in the author's mind, and that helps me interpret it better. Harp solo, all right, all right. <laughs> or like a, a, a nice guitar, uh, electric guitar solo going on in the Psalter. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, Tony said it's a harp solo. That's what, that's what Zila means, a harp solo. Uh, uh, okay, any other questions before we close? All right, let's pray. Um, Father, thank you for the Psalms. Thank you that um, you have given us emotional uh, scripture um, that teaches us how to uh, how to deal with our emotions in a God honoring way, and how to praise you, and how to lament in a way that, in each case, is honoring to you. And so we pray that just in our lives, as we go through uh, difficulties and great things in life that you give us, Lord God, I pray that the language, the verbiage, the, the, um, the ideas in the Psalms would help us and that those would be on our lips. Prepare us to sing this morning, O Lord God, to sing great truths of who you are. May our hearts be directed towards you. I thank you that we gather together as a temple uh, in the gathering, and we sing uh, just as was going on in the temple in the Old Testament, Lord God, and singing is such a huge part of our worship, and I just pray that you would be pleased with our worship this morning. Uh, Lord, we pray also for the hearing of your word, prepare our hearts to receive it, and help us to serve one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to pray with one another this morning. We ask these things in your name. Amen.